0: All right. Welcome to Cinema Around the Corner. My name is Ben Wager, along with my co-host, Don Gibson. Hey there. And today we are coming to the conclusion of our series of episodes where we're focusing on plays that were adapted to films. And we are currently in the 2000 teens, and we're looking at a couple of very interesting plays uh, that were adapted into movies. And we're gonna open up with Don's selection and I'll let him go ahead and introduce it. Thanks, Ben.
1: Uh, So the film I'm gonna talk about a little bit is uh, called Carnage. And it was directed by the one and only uh, Roman Polanski. So he's very well known for many other films, including Chinatown. He's a a Polish guy. He's actually back in France now. It's an interesting film. Uh, It's based, uh, it's an entirely European production. Uh, It was financed by Germany, France, Poland, and Spain. It's based on a play that uh, was written by a French woman, Yasmina Reza, in 2006. And the play was eventually uh, brought to uh, England and then to Broadway. And and, and this is a well-known play for lots of uh, marquee uh, actors, the one I saw had uh, James Gandolfini and other well-known actors. And this one, the play, the, the film that we, we, we watched is uh, starring Jodie Foster, Kate Winslet, Christopher Waltz, and John C. Riley. powerhouse of, uh,
0: of acting. You brought up that uh, it's a European production. Do you, any ideas on why it might have been a European production, Don? <laughs> I think we're going to talk about Polanski, perhaps.
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, Roman Polanski, you know, we always can do the the short version, but, uh, you know, he's a wonderfully creative uh, director. He's he's done many interesting plays. One of his first great uh, films was uh, with Mia Farrow, uh, Rosemary's Baby. And he did a number of films and he's he's really quite a decorated director um and then of course he was he was known personally for what happened to him tragically his wife sharon tate was killed in the manson murders and he became very publicly known at that time but then afterwards and actually before that he was known as a playboy with uh, you know quite a you know high life and you know drugs and parties etc i guess he he did rape a 15 year old He's never stood trial for it so the, the trials never happened uh, but he had to flee to Europe and he's been there for the last 45 years or something and they talk about extraditing him etc and they haven't um, uh, they haven't done that the French uh, don't want to do that uh, so yeah it's that's why it's a European production and that's but interestingly enough all the actors three of the actors are American and they all went over to Europe uh, because Plansky, is very well respected creativ- uh, creatively, but of course, this uh, issue of his sexual assault and his background is uh, something
0: he's had to battle. Yes, I believe the idea of the Me Too movement and everything like that, it's probably, I'm curious to see how that impacts, has impacted his career since this, because this movie was a little bit. Uh, pre I think kind of pre me too movement and uh, you know and and Kate Winslet who did speak a little bit about working with him and working with Woody Allen and kind of connecting that a little bit but now I'm just curious how is he missing out on people because of you know that background and and I don't even know what if he's done another movie since then.
1: Yeah well it is, so this is the last English language film he did in 2011 and um, he's done a two or three since we have to also remember that he was 77 when he directed this so he's not he's no spring chicken uh yeah mike you're, you're probably right he's been not uh he's not it he doesn't have the access to the projects he, he would have liked and ironically or you know coincidentally the so the the academy of motion pictures you know who awards the oscars they banned him they they rejected him from membership he'd been a member all those years and in 2018 they expelled him and then that same year, his wife, who's a French actress, Emmanuel Seigneur, she was asked to uh, join the Academy and uh, she rejected them. And she did quite a public response and saying it was talking about the hypocrisy. And Polanski has talked about how angry he is at the situation. And, you know, I mean, obviously, this is we don't really talk about these things as much. We're talking more about the films. plansky's a fascinating uh, uh, character. And I, we mentioned Woody Allen. Uh, people are very polarized and it's either the art first or how they behave and so yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting background to it.
0: I think it has to be brought up a little bit when you're talking about a Polanski film, especially for our listeners who aren't familiar with that background.
1: I think it's fair. It's a, it's a fair argument. But back to the film. Um, so it's based on this play. It's I you know I really enjoyed the film. It's a comedy. It's a very dark comedy. Um, it's about uh, two sets of parents that come together to talk about um, something that happens in the in the school school grounds where one boy hit another boy and, with a stick and uh, you know, damaged his teeth, et cetera. And so it was, a, it was a situation that was you know, very difficult at the time. And the beginning, the parents are very civil and very kind and very thoughtful. And then eventually the whole thing devolves into a, a very messy situation where there's in, you know, a whole number of series of arguments. You know, it's a comedy of basically how people behave and originally the, 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 two sets of parents behave really, you know, they support each other, but that soon collapses. And eventually the guys kind of support each other and the women support each other. And it goes back and forth basically where they're all just sort of like attacking and,
0: and, and, and going at each other. Yeah. In a pretty nasty way. Yeah. There's a lot of shifting alliances. There's a lot of, you know, physical hardship uh, amongst the, the situations, people, you know, getting sick and uh, drinking, and it just—you know—I—it's—it's it's funny because you know, as you uh, as you watch the, the, the film and, and and you think about the name and you, and it starts off so civilized, and you're like, "Carnage? Why is this called Carnage?" And then as the movie progresses, you're like, "Oh, okay, now this 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 title starts to become more fitting as as the as the film progresses."
1: yeah the title is 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 referred like two-thirds of the way through where uh one of the character character played by christopher waltz talks about believing in the god of the god of carnage and that there's no one in charge of anything we just everyone should just do what they want and they they kind of battle it out um but the character that i really uh found very enjoyable and very entertaining in this film is the is the character played by john c Riley. he plays a guy that's uh you know, everyone's highly educated. The other the other guy played breakfast for Waltz is a very he's on the phone a lot, um, and, and closing deals. And I think
0: he's a he's a he's like a senior partner at a law firm.
1: He is, yeah. And everyone's highly educated. There's art books and they're always talking about highfalutin things. And John C. Riley, uh he, he sells like stuff for the bathroom
0: or a kitchen. Yeah, I think he sells like, you know, uh like like plumbing and housing plumbing and housing yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he comes across as a
1: very simple fellow but he's got such an edge to him and he's and I don't I, you know I'm sure many people know John C Reilly he's been in a number of films with uh, Will Ferrell uh, step brothers and um, the Teledig and Knights and so he's generally kind of a it's not never the first guy and he's kind of I guess not here it's a, it's a, it's him and Christopher Waltz but he has very entertaining lines of uh, you know there's a, a great reference to the fact that he he uh, he didn't like his daughter having a hamster and then he just takes the hamster releases it and and the other wife is appalled and then he 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 says I have a fear of rodents and reptiles anything down close to the ground and it's just like he says these weird things and anybody he, he says them very straightforward you know I find myself laughing a lot at John C. Riley's uh, lines and uh, just basically the character he portrays
0: yeah, I think he, he was a very good character. I like I liked how he made an effort to kind of pretend for his wife to be this, this person at the beginning because, you know, you, you feel like the wife on a certain level, you know, there's almost like a shame that she's with this guy. She wants to be known as a successful published intellectual academic and she's really selling this persona and, and his association with her at that level doesn't really work as well. And so she, you know, it's kind of like, all right, we have this limited interaction with these people. Let's paint this picture of who we are for them. And then as as their interaction progresses and complicates, their little picture begins to disintegrate. And he's great. I love how he just kind of starts connecting. And then there's this really random phone call that just continually happens with his mother who's ill. The the subplot of that, because the, the calls that the Christopher Waltz's character keeps getting has to do with this medication that people are on that is, is having these horrible side effects. And there's going to be, you know, product liability litigation that they're trying to fight off and all this press conference information. And it turns out that his mother is on that medication and he starts freaking out about the fact that mom, you got to get off this medic. Stop taking it right away. I found that to be the best comedic part of this film was the interactions between the phone call with his mother and, and the, and the problems with the, the medicine that, uh, Christopher Waltz's character is trying to uh, pr- defend it as the uh, the corporate counsel
1: yeah I, I totally agree it's interesting because you're talking about his interaction with his wife his wife is played by Jodie Foster and she plays a really intense strident personality like in terms of the four people I would say she's probably the least likable because she's just so intense and she's you know, she always wants to do the right thing, and, and and which is obviously a good thing. But in a very intense way, their relationship is—it seems so nice and so supportive in the beginning. and the end, it's one of the one, another one of John C Reilly's lines is, uh, "If you ask me, the couple is the worst thing that's ever you know we have to deal with in life. So being forced to live with a couple, uh, he says that and kids. Those are the worst things we have to deal with." <laughs> And he just says it like matter-of-factly. And and he and he's, and he's like, oh, okay. So he, he's a very he's a very funny guy and the way, and Jodie Foster, she, apparently she her character has a bit of an issue with drinking and he keeps trying to get her away from the bottle, but then she drinks and then she gets incredibly intense. But yeah, it's a, the th- I would say I have a couple of criticisms of the film. Well, that's not a criticism, right? It's 80 minutes long. It's a very short film, so maybe that's good. feels very much like a play. It is a play, that's what we're doing, um, but it's all in this apartment. And they do really nice devices. They keep just saying, okay, we've, we're finished talking and we, we'll figure out what we're going to do with our kids. And they keep leaving and they keep coming back. So the device works really well and it's effective. But we only in the very beginning, the very end, we see the school, what happens in the school ground. That's it. Otherwise, it's in the apartment. <clears throat> and so it, it works, but it, it definitely feels like a play. And then the other thing I would say isn't as successful is the use of the phone. I think it's a little bit. It's a. It's a bit of a forced device. Otherwise, I think the way they keep interacting and and, and they go from you know being friendly and arguing. I think the the dialogue is excellent and the and the back and forth and also the the cinematography. They really frame you know when two couples are working. You know they're they're getting along. They put them in the same frame and then eventually everyone's isolated in their own image and the way they connect to, you know, the divisions and it's, is uh, very effectively done for, in the end, it's sort of, I, I wanted a little bit more and I, there's
0: parts I really enjoyed, but it seemed a little bit, something a little bit missing in the end. You know, I, I disagree with that. I think that the conciseness of the film and the snapshot moment of, you know, we're, we're walking into this world where this couple is coming into this other couple's environment to deal with like a Kind of a stressful situation with their two children, and then we see this, you know, disintegration of the of the interactions and exchanges. I like the phone call because it was kind of like a comedic timeout from the intensity of the of the four characters, and having that phone call kind of. It, it kind of brought level kind of leveled down the intensity and brought in a little bit. And then it kind of gave you a little bit of a kind of a breath before that next interaction between the couples. So I, I liked the phone call. I thought the phone call was a nice little respite. in within. Yeah, but
1: it's like- phone calls. There's like, Nine of them. There's yeah,
0: but two. I mean, I mean, it's you know, old people they they do this. It's very realistic, I think, when you know, a mother is it wants her son to help go through this. Thing. You know, I thought that was I feel that to be a very realistic situation of this constant need to have this other thing happening that's outside the room, that's that yeah. to that person is very serious, but to the people in the room, this is like oh great because the other there's another constant phone call happening too with with uh, Christopher. Waltz and and the business that he's doing. And eventually that, you know, that turns into this whole phone crisis when they when his wife throws it into the water, and, and that's like a oh. like she's killed a child. There's this whole, you know, we must resuscitate it thing between the guys after they had just criticized the women on their handbags that's... and all the personal stuff in their handbags, and then this happens, and it's like so hypocritical. Oh no, I, I no, love you, that. I love that part.
1: You, you miss it? No, I totally love the phone call that Jones John C. Riley's doing with his mother. I think that works incredibly well. It's it's Christopher Waltz doing his, his cell phone with his business. That's repeated. To oh,
0: it. oh! I'm sorry. I that's, thought you were talking about because that's what the no, example no, the, I was bringing up had to do with the mother.
1: Yeah, the- no, no, that no. I I love this stuff with John C. Riley. It's him on the. He's always calling on his cell phone, to, as you said, to deal with some sort of lawsuit that's happening in his in his business. And that one happens like a lot. And no, I think that John C. Riley uh, message with his mom is is great. John C. Riley for me is the gem of this film.
0: I thought all the characters were. I thought I thought that. Um... Kate Winslet, her, you know, because the the value I thought of the Christopher Waltz phone calls is that's his, that's him a hundred percent of the day. Like, and she's on, she's at, you know, wit's end about it. It's, it, it's, it's too much. She's, she's sharing this person too much with this other thing. And he doesn't have any boundaries about it. He doesn't care. It's that call it becomes the priority. Everybody else in the room is nobody. He has to deal with the situation. And you see that, and it really establishes the person that this guy is all the time outside of this little snapshot that we're sharing with, with him. But the other thing that you just mentioned that I thought was, you know, very important in regards to the, the energy of the, of the film was the Kate Winslet characters, the health issues with that she starts to have. And and like, it's like this guy is almost literally killing her. You know, from like she's she she's getting eaten away with this uh, this problem with the illness and where that came from, and it just it felt like her own neuroses that are coming out of her dealings with situations. Jodie Foster's characters wound up really tight, but I felt like Kate Winslet's character was just way wound up as well, and everybody on some levels seems to be breaking down. And John C. Reilly's kind of like you know he might be the simplest person in the room. But he's able to kind of just float along with all the problems the best.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's why I like him so much. Yeah, no, and I think I think obviously the, uh, the acting is 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 really good, and um, it's it's a very it's a powerful film. I, I I think it works well. For me, it just ended. It was a little bit. I wanted a little bit more out of it, and um, yeah, the, the the cell phone stuff I thought was a little bit forced, but I I, I enjoy the film
0: yeah no i enjoyed the film too and the name was just perfect i thought you know everything just kind of broke down and then they ended the film it was like perfect i thought the name actually it pre- almost predicted this ending where it was just like they're just kind of all stunned staring at each other and then the film ends <laughs> yep it was great. All right. Well, I think we covered this. Is there anything else you want to talk about or bring up about this film? Um, no, no, no more Polanski. Can't talk.
1: We could go on and on about Polanski.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's there's a lot of flawed people in the entertainment industry. We know that. All right. Well, let's move on to the film that I I uh, picked. It's called Fences, and it was uh, originally a play by August Wilson, That was uh, put on in the uh, 1980s. It did win the best Tony and Pulitzer for plays in 1987. So it was a a very well respected and successful production. Then they had a, they, they put the play on again in the late 2000s. And that's kind of where Denzel Washington became part of this because he played the main character along with Viola Davis. In fact, five of the main characters who were, were in the movie were actually also in that revival of the play in the late 2000, I think it was 2008, 2009, or something like that. August Wilson is known for for writing period piece plays about Pittsburgh in the 1950s, dealing with a lot of African American issues. And this is a uh, the sixth play that he wrote in a 10 part series. And it's probably his most successful play. He was credited as the screenwriter for this play. However, you know, he died well before this play was finished in development as a film. Dental Washington wanted to protect that credit. And so Tony Kushner was actually brought on to kind of finish the the screenplay. He was given a co-producer credit, not a screenwriter And it's the only co-producer credit that Tony Kushner has ever received for writing a film.
1: And one of the things that he did, the playwright, was he insisted for it to be, if it was made in a film, that was directed by a black man. Yeah, yeah.
0: It had to be an African-American director and then Denzel Washington coincidentally is the director of this play and yeah. you know Denzel said uh in many interviews that he felt it was very comfortable for him to direct this play because he had been in it 114 times comfortable for him to direct it as a film because he knew it inside and out and before all that happened it was it was
1: Paramount that somebody bought
0: it yeah it, and uh, I think in 1990 the the yeah. Paramount bought the rights to the to yeah. the film version And And Eddie uh, Eddie Murphy was considered for this play. He wanted to play the son, but he was already ten years older by the time the development of this play moved forward. He had aged out of that role, and he wanted to do. This
1: was one of his vehicle attempts to leave comedy and do a. A serious role, but
0: never happened. You know, this was kind of what they were trying to, to shoot for. But he, he did move on and attempt to play serious roles and other things. Unfortunately, those weren't quite as successful either. The play is about, it's a man who's, who seems to be kind of late for everything in, in his time. You know, he wanted to be a, a successful baseball player. He was he was very good, could have played in the major leagues. But uh, because of his age, he was, he was a little bit before the... integration of major league baseball and so that was something that you know bothered him much of his life it's a constant connection within the play he's got a ball hanging from a tree in his in his yard where he has a bat and he's constantly swinging and his son swings it, you know and and all many of his stories are are connected to his history and how he could have been a better baseball player than so many of the of the players but because he, he was black he was not able to have that opportunity. And, and that was just because he was born too early. And, and it seems that's a theme in this in, in the sense that, you know, he had some troubles as a youth and he went to, to jail and he met a very good friend who, can, who became a lifelong friend of his and they worked together hauling trash for the Pittsburgh City Sanitation Department. You know, he's very good. Uh, he he ends up becoming the first African American driver, you know, because the whites were driving the trucks and the and the blacks had to to stop and pick up the trash and put it in the trucks and and he advocated strongly to become, you know, a driver even though technically he couldn't even drive if we find out later, but he yeah. he, 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 he he was illiterate. Yeah, he was illiterate and he and he didn't have a driver's license, but he was able to you know, advocate for himself very well. And eventually he did get picked up to be a driver. And it was a very proud moment in the family. And it's all, it's one of the few positives that we see within his interactions because he's a very flawed person. He's, his wife is uh, played by Viola Davis and she's his second wife, I believe in, in this storyline of, of his life. And she's raising the child that they had together, but there's another adult son from another marriage who comes in. He's a musician, but he's always borrowing money, and that's a stressful thing within the family. He uh, So there's a lot of interactions between Denzel Washington character and his son from another marriage, but also his son that he currently has because he has a very strict beliefs on how his son should be raised. And he doesn't want to play football. He wants him to have a job. And that's more important. And recruiting for college means nothing because he's not going to have those opportunities. And so much of what he believes is connected to his own failures in life. And it's very frustrating for the family because the family doesn't believe that they have to be as restricted in their lives as he was then. But he's such a rigid and uncompromising person That it becomes a huge tension within the film, and it's very well done. I mean, Denzel Washington's character and Viola Davis, who did win, I believe, a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her role. Even though a lot of people felt that that was, she should have been submitted as a Best Actress, not Best Supporting Actress, because she definitely has, you know, she's definitely one of the main characters in this film. But because of Oscar considerations and winnability they they slipped her in as the best supporting actress which I guess worked out because she didn't win it
1: yeah that that whole thing's a little bit of a controversy that you can read about because she's she's definitely not a supporting actress she's a she's the the main female actor in the film so yeah and never understand half half the time you see these supporting and and main she is remarkable I mean we talked about her last uh, film when we were uh talking about doubt and that uh, she was a supporting actress in that because she had a much smaller role, but she is a, a great actress. She's uh, absolutely no he, doubt. She delivers her anger, her uh, compassion, her the way she connects with both characters, the way she's put through the. the the, the grindstone. She's just, she's given hell through this whole film uh, by Denzel Washington's character. Um, he's, an, as you say, incredibly flawed individual, and he subjects everyone to his personal frustrations and anger. And, you know, he, he tells people they shouldn't do anything, you know, they're, they're all stuck with him, kind of. And then, of course, he goes off and does his own thing and has, his, has, a, has a child with somebody else and he subjects her to that and the way she tolerates it but also expresses her incredible anger is uh, very powerful.
0: Yeah, she's a, I mean, she ends up being a saint in this movie. She holds the family together. They're not all of her children. You know, they end, she ends up actually uh, taking yep. care of this child that he has out of wedlock with a woman who dies during childbirth and he has to come to her and says, will you take, care of this child and she, i will be the mother of that child but i'm no longer your wife basically yeah you know just a, and it's just such a powerful powerful moment in the film and it just you know this is the first time you see him really stunned at that level and i think that mistake and and what happened to him is the you know basically i think the tipping point for his decline and eventual you know death in the storyline because I I feel like and that is connected to how he kind of rejects his own son and and that son goes off and doesn't ever come back and joins the I think the Marines you know and he's just so self-destructive it makes so much sense in the sense of his own background and August Wilson's dialogue and structure and strategy of his play it all was so natural and made sense and how it all played out even though it was a sad story there's a wonderful scene between him and and the son and the
1: son saying, you know, I just want you to like me. And he's like, well, you don't have to like your father. And he's got this whole like tough love thing. And, uh, you know, I want you to just, I don't want you to have to live my life, but he doesn't, the irony of course is if he simply was supportive of his son and brother and his wife, he would have had a much happier, more fulfilling life. And he wouldn't have probably ended up having this affair with this other woman and all these things happening. And that's, so for me, I find it a really fascinating story. And it's interesting because the entire film is is black characters. It's a very, it's very much about an African-American experience in Pittsburgh in the 50s. And so it's, you know, we we don't see any white characters affecting any of these characters. But the truth is the fact that, you know, Denzel Washington, he was very successful in the Negro leagues and, and his character, and he never had the opportunity to play baseball, you know, in the Big leagues making money, et cetera, and obviously, you know, being much more recognized. You know, the reason he's so angry is because of racism. He's been subjected to a horrible situation. He never was able to realize who he really was. And what does he do with his anger? He, he vents it out on, on the people who are closest to him. And so that's what I find so intense about the film. It's, it's so tragic because he's a very thoughtful person. He really thinks about what he's doing, but he can't control his anger. And he uh, he just destroys all of his relationships um, because of his anger. But he shouldn't be
0: angry at any of these people. He should be angry at white society that treated him like garbage. And I don't know if I 100% agree with that all of his problems stem from racism. I mean, I think that when you make the choice to murder somebody, Uh, and go to jail, that can can stay with you a little bit longer. And it's not necessarily something that you can just systemically apply to the fault of racism. I mean, I think that you lower the bar of success when you murder somebody and go to jail for 15 years. I mean, I think that does put a ceiling, it drops the ceiling down on what you can do when you get out.
1: True. I'm not, uh, and this, what I'm saying is not actually, none of this is part of the story. You know, what my interpretation of it. And you're right, but I, but I always wonder about you know the situation he was put in and and why he did that, etc. Um, you know if he was in the situation he was, would he have been in the position where he did murder somebody and he was he also was involved in burglaries, etc. So I always think you know well if he had the same opportunities, some white kid play baseball or you know get a job or go to school what kind of life would he live? So I'm, I'm putting my bias into this understanding of the film, but um, this is none of this. What I'm saying, I think, is implied. I don't... It's not... He never says, I blame Whitey. He never says that.
0: There's two things I want to bring up. One, the best choice he made in the film was not to kill his own son when they got in the fight and he had the bat in his hand yeah, and he cool just kind of... He walked away from swinging the bat and taking his own kid out. The fight destroys their relationship forever and the kid never sees him again. And then two... The character of his brother is played by I think his name is Keddie uh, Washington, and he he's a you know he was injured in World War II, and it affects him mentally for the rest of his life because of his what happened to him in World War II. The government gave him a chunk of money, and they were able to buy a house, and this is the house that they live in. But then the brother. In his very kind of messed up way, he doesn't want to live in the house anymore, and so they end up getting the house, and they actually end up having to put the brother in a mental institution because he's so messed up. But there's this weird kind of uh, religious connection to his brother in the sense that he might have some kind of divine spiritual. He speaks of it like he, because he's crazy, but then there's sh- there's evidence that maybe he did have the ability to, you know, open the gates to heaven to allow his brother at, at his. His death to enter the the gates of heaven, and that's kind of represented in the film in a very interesting way. His brother is this person that he he owes so much to, but you know his relationship with him is is just so fractured because the damaged brother believes that that Denzel's character actually doesn't like him, and he has to constantly reassure him that that's not the case.
1: Yeah, and I, I agree. The uh, and once again, I would talk about the, the. I would say the feeling in this film is incredibly oppressive. And obviously the, the term offenses is this concept of you're either keeping something out or keeping people in. So obviously that's a main theme and, and idea in it, but that oppressive nature of what the brother has had to, you know, deal with, you know, after the injury, you know, trapped spiritually, but also physically in, in, a, in a mental institution. And, and then of course, the, the brother uh, Denzel Washington's character, you know, trapped in a relationship where he feels like, He's burdened by
0: him. But he owes everything to, him, in has, to and, him And
1: he owes everything to him. And he's trapped in that idea. So, yeah. And I would say, I would have the same criticism of this film, as I said, of, of uh, Carnage. Feels very much like a play. And once again, I mean, I don't know if that's a fair criticism, but, you know, when I do see a film and, it's, you know, I, I'm watching it and then I'm like, you know, 20 minutes into it, I'm like, this seems like a play. We talked about this with uh, Ma Rainey's uh, Black Bottom, which we did. Quite a while ago, it was nominated for the Oscars this year, and that's also by August Wilson, right? Is that correct? I think it's an August it, Wilson play. It was one. It was one of this. Denzel Washington, I know, is, has has signed some contract where he's going to do something like five films by uh, African American playwrights and get them to screen i know that's part of the package i don't think i'm not sure if it's august wilson because that's set in chicago but anyway we we talked about that and that was i think it was a really good film but it felt very much like a play and i would say the same thing about fences i mean they're obviously in the house a lot and there's a lot of the scenes are in the house and you know it's a good vehicle but you know i always I'm i'm intrigued by people that can move it from the theater to a film and then make us not think it's a play but it's a film and this, this definitely feels kind of, you know, we're I mean, that's the idea. We're trapped in a space and they definitely got that idea across.
0: Well, I think there are plays that, are better designed to create a a more complicated world in film, this is not one of those plays. I mean, Uh, it's talking about building a backyard fence is the reason the term fences. And so, you know, very much the settings are connected to the storyline and his world that he can control, which is this basically his little backyard where he hangs out and does his thing. And it's very much, you know, he's in that world and that's, that's the world that he he feels like he's the king of. And so, you know, you get that needs to be part of the setting. And I think that concern about this particular play, I don't, it applies because I think it's, the setting is central to the plot lines that are constantly revolving within this play. And then even in the other play, Carnage, I mean, I, I felt it was very natural because it was like this moment in this apartment. And, you know, it would have, I think it would have been forced to even try and push it out of this apartment because it was about the interaction of these four people. And so, you know, I, I'm not sure that, that, um, that argument for me is, is valid, but I, I understand your point in bringing it up because you know, it's, valid. It, it's, you know, you want to see in a film, you want to see different locations and scenes and, and and you want that to be a natural thing. But within these two plays, I don't I just don't think that would have worked as well. And it might have been a distraction and a negative point to the films in general yeah. so I appreciate your comment but I don't, I'm not so sure I agree with it well see
1: I mean this is something uh, you know we're wrapping this whole thing up with uh, adaptations and uh, from theater to, to uh, screen you know it's just something that I always think about and you know when you're watching a film and and then you have this sort of feeling is like wait a minute this is this more of a play and maybe that's just like a realization and that's just what it is but maybe it's also then you're as a viewer you're sort of wondering oh, okay it's a play and then you sort of feel restricted so I, I would say Ma Rainey's Black Bottom they did opening sequences in that where we're down in the south I forget exactly where the, the vast majority is set in Chicago recording studio but it felt very much like a play to me and I guess I do mean that as a criticism because when you're moving it to film then you have to It's no longer a play, it's a film. So, one film that I would say did really well with moving from film to, uh, sorry, from play to to stage to screen would be Cabaret. And Cabaret is very much set in the theater, it's all based on the Cabaret. But everything that happens outside of the Cabaret is very well developed in the film. And while there's a lot of theater stuff going on, it feels like a great film. And I wouldn't say, oh, it's kind of limited. And so I I don't know, maybe that's just what, and you're right, as a, you know, fences, you don't want to like, okay, we have to do all these other things to make sure no one thinks it's a play. But then I do wonder about we're exploring the successful adaptation from stage to screen. If we feel like it's a play, then is it still successful is is the question I'm, I'm posing.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it did get nominated for best picture. So maybe somebody (laughs) thought it was good. That's, (laughs) That's your whole argument. All right. So, you know, I sometimes less is more is is a valuable, you
1: know, I'm not against less is more. Okay.
0: All right. All right. Uh, One last thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting was the scene where we see this kind of divine intervention with the brother blowing the trumpet and this Gabriel association. You know, Kushner wrote Part of the screenplay And that part of the film Kind of reminded me Of a little bit of like An Angels in America Kind of vibe And I felt like that There was a Kushner influence In that little moment It's like, oh, I could see A little Kushner in here Because it didn't really fit in I felt as much with like The August Wilson vibe Of what what he's about It felt more like A Kushner moment I didn't do any research To see, you know How that was played out In the actual play Versus what we saw In the film But it just That was the one part Where I was like Wow, this is kind of a part of the play that didn't feel like is synced with the Wilson spirit of the rest of the play you know like you're
1: saying Wilson is more grounded in just the the dirty reality of, of what he had to live in that was more of like a spiritual esoteric thing
0: Well, not just that might that probably was a prominent scene in the play, I'm guessing, because it was very prominent in this film. And, you know, Denzel Washington was very disciplined in in representing August Wilson to the core of what he's about in the film. That was part of his goal in, in making this film. So I think it's just the way the dialogue was within that moment. It just felt a little bit. Off from some of the other stuff in in the play, it just didn't didn't quite have the same flavor. Although I love the line that uh, Gabriel says as he's walking away, so that's how that's done, or something that you know, or something like that, as he does this divine thing and walks away, not really understanding what the other people just saw in impacting him, but he's like, yeah, that's how you get that done, or something like that, and he walks away to go have a sandwich or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that I thought it was a very powerful moment. But it just, you know, I was wondering how much Kushner had in the development of that little scene in there, because it did remind me a little bit about stuff that I've seen that Kushner's done. But I just wanted to bring that up as my closing point. Fair enough.
1: And one thing you did mention in the beginning that I, I just wanted to quickly touch on is the, the baseball tied to a string or a rope in the backyard. I, I thought it was, I mean, obviously it was a very effective motif in the play as well, but I thought it was really well developed in the film. The idea of him hitting a baseball that's, that can't go out of the yard. I mean, it's not that amazing, but it works incredibly in the, uh, in the film. The baseball is going nowhere. You keep hitting it. It's just going to keep coming back. And I thought that image, that, that motif really reflected, you know, Denzel Washington's state of mind and.
0: I thought they, you know, developed really well in the film. Yeah, I agree. I, the whole idea of being tied down to this memory and then this baseball yeah. tied to the tree, you know, in his yard. I agree 100%. I thought that that had a, it, it had a lot of representation within the film and it was used very well. All right. Well, I think that is, ends our look at these two very good films. That I think we both felt were enjoyable to watch and were effective and very powerful and, uh, you know, if you haven't seen them, they're, they're definitely worth catching. If you have the opportunity, please go and see or stream it or whatever you do these days, Fences and Carnage. I agree. Well, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Cinema Around the Corner. We're very excited that our next series will be announced, and we're looking forward to sharing that with you soon. In the new year. In the new year. Thank you very much, Don. All right. Have a good day, everybody, wherever you are. Good.